0: That was fired up. I was, I don't even know how he followed that. But Evan did it. Evan did follow it. And that was fired up too. I love Evan's enthusiasm. I love that drum. like when he bangs it. I'm like, oh man. I'm like stirring something to me. Amen, church. Um, it's my honor and privilege to speak with you this morning. I'm gonna come out of uh, Psalm 73. So you wanna turn there and I'll give you a little intro. So. Can you raise your hand if you've read through the book of Psalms, like some people do like a Psalm a day, who's like the Psalmist in the group? You're like, I love the Psalms. I'm going to be real with you. I never got into the Psalms, like not, and that sounds like terrible to say. I don't have like a thing against them. Like some people are like, oh, I'm reading Judges or Chronicles. Oh my God. Like I don't, I don't have a thing against the Psalms. I just don't think I ever really have utilized them to their full potential or appreciated them for what they really are. And um, I've been doing the good work of therapy. I work with a mental health professional to get in there and shake out some of the, the cobwebs and go onward and, and upward to greater things. And we're talking, and this person's like, I think you're really uncomfortable with emotions. Like, you can't just sit in the room of someone's emotion, you know? If someone brings you stuff, you want to either fix it or run away from it or discredit it or you know, attack because of it. You know, you can't just like, okay, this is the emotion. This is what they're feeling. That's, you know, it is what it is and it's not what it's not. And I think that's why Psalms, right? Psalms is all emotion. Psalms is like, oh, the snares that befall me and the man. And you're like, all right, that's a lot of feelings. Let's just like, what's the, okay, good, God is good. Amen, next Psalm. You know, just keep it moving. But that's not right. I want to confess that to the church. It's not right that I kind of, you know, amen, We we should really get in there and understand the heart of the psalmist. And so the cool thing about 73 is that right right before, at the end of 72, is that it's the end of the David Psalms, right? So it says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And if you're like me and there's emotion motion like that you struggle, you're like, amen, amen. Thank you, David. And we move on. We're moving on now. <laughs> I'm just This is, um, so 73 is the Psalm of Asaph. And Asaph was like a really cool guy. Asaph was an artist. Asaph had a school where with other men, he taught people how to do these psalms and how to, he was like skilled with the stringed instruments and it was like a cool, he had like the first teaching school, you know what I mean? It was like really neat. And so Asaph, you can learn more about him, but he, this is, Psalm 73 is one of the wisdom psalms, all right? So just like there's types of prayer, there's five types of psalms. Anybody know the five types of psalms? Take a guess at one? No, no, no? All right. So there's praise psalms, right? There's psalms where we praise God, you know. Blessed is the Lord, the maker of the hills, right? There's praise psalms where we adore him. There's wisdom psalms. This is a wisdom psalm. We learn a lesson. We walk away. We're like wow, this is this is wisdom. He kind of like waxes and wanes. This is the bad, and this is the good, and this is the truth. You know what I mean? You walk away from that. There's royal psalms. You know that there's royal psalms that are like tribute psalms, or psalms where they talk about a king and maybe his deeds, right? Stuff like that. There's royal psalms, or psalms that the king wrote, right? And then there's the lament song. That's what we just talked about, right? There's the lament. You know lamenting is? Lamenting It's actually a spiritual discipline that I, I hope that we'll talk about more. Not today. Today is not the lament lesson. But <laughs> lament is a spiritual discipline, and um, there really is a lot more than just saying, woe is me, lament, lament. Lament is a tool that we can use and we can cry out and say, oh, my goodness, this is so uncomfortable. Why? Why is there this tension? Why is there wickedness running rampant? Why is there this hurt and this pain and this suffering in the world God why that's a lament and it's a powerful tool to be able to connect with God and to to share with people and to to move forward right so that's a lament so those now you know if you didn't before the five types of psalms and so today's is a wisdom wisdom psalm all right we're ready to jump in so if you're there we are gonna start And uh, I was really convicted through reading this. I don't traditionally use slides, and I I didn't today, but this really convicted me. I was like, I'm going to do more slides because there is such depth all over the place. But this is a really meaty, intense (laughs) psalm, and so I'm going to try to do it justice without the slides, or just by words and and the word, amen? So let's, let's dive in. Psalm 73, verse 1, a psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But let's just stop. Isn't that how, that's how I read the Psalms? I just, just run through it. But as for me, oh, and you just go through. But let's just listen here to what he says. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are what? Pure in heart. And that's something that I'm like, what is that even what does that even mean? What does it mean to be pure in heart? I think that's a concept that today... At least for me, I can look over and I can really... Even when I'm studying the Beatitudes, right? Matthew 5.8, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they what? They see God. They see God. Don't you want to see God, church? I want to see God, and I realize that I, I don't think my heart's pure, right? I don't think my heart's pure. I don't think that I understand even what it means to, to really have a pure heart. And... You know, I'm not here to guilt anybody out, and, and, and sal- salvation, sanctification, it's all progressive, right? We, we kind of grow as we go, and it's like, amen. Thank goodness that Jesus is pure, and that he can, can offer that to me, and then so I can kind of wear his, his purity, his righteousness, right? And amen for that. That's absolutely true. But I think that really trying to do the good work of, like, where is my heart at? and I want God to be good to me. I want to see God. I want to have a pure heart. What does that look like? How do I go after it? How do I get it? How do I grow in purity of heart? And there's so much to having a pure heart. If you, you know, go to your concordance and look up I'm just talking about pure, pure in heart, not not physical purity, but having a heart that is pure. Not that that's not a component of that, right? But It's it's so intense. I'm going to just share one verse with you, and then we're going to stick in (laughs) pretty much in Psalm 73. But if, if you want to write it down for later, I'm just going to come briefly out of 1 John 3. I'm going to read 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Do you feel like that Like for yourself? Like, and so I am. Is that what you feel? Like And so I am. You should. I don't feel that way sometimes. I think sometimes I can doubt that. I can, and maybe it's not a conscious thing. I don't wake up and put on my jeans and say, "I'm not a son of God," you know. <laughs> but are you walking? Are you walking in the power of like? And so I am because of His goodness. Are you? Are you walking in that? How do we walk in that? Whew. The reason why the world does not know us. So. Put a little finger here because we're going as we progress through the psalm, it's gonna talk about the differences between us and the world and how the world doesn't know us. Okay? The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now we are, right now, we are God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I feel like I could read that 10 times and then walk off, (laughs) and that would be be enough. Wow. So how do we become pure, right? Anyone that believes thusly, anyone that believes, hey, you wake up and say, hey, I am God's child because of what Jesus did. And I am his child now. I claim that now for myself. And I'm going to become something even greater. As he works in me, as he purifies me, as he reveals my sin, as he lets me struggle through life and rub up against people and cry out and lament and and bleed and be messy and and repent and, and be sanctified, that is the process through which I continually call on him. And I say, hey... I'm going to be something even greater one day because of who you are, because of who you're making me. I shall be like you. Because when I see you as you are, everything will change. Everything will change even more. And everyone who hopes thusly in him purifies himself as he is pure. Whoa, right? So much more than I bargained for when I started reading Psalm 73. I was like, can you do Psalm 73? And I was like, yeah, it's the intense one. I'm the intense guy. It's the messy one. Sure, I'll do Psalm 73. But I jumped in there, and I'm like, wow, there's so much more. So much more for me, and hopefully for you, okay? So that's That's verse one. (laughs) Verse two. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I really want us to dig in here because I feel like, for me, I can read this and I can be like, wow, like, how unrelatable sometimes. Sometimes, I'm not going to lie, I can read through some of these psalms and like, the cattle on the hill and the men and they, they come for me and they set snares for me and they want to, you know, my blood. And you're like, what the heck is he talking about? How does this apply to me? And you might be sitting there and saying, listen, I do not envy, the arrogant, or the wicked. I don't go about my day, oh, I wish I was like those wicked men, right? And you probably don't on that level. But I bet you do in some ways that you don't even realize. There's a book called Respectable Sins. Have you ever heard about this book? And it kind of, the premise is that we, when we first come in and we study and we start seeking God, it's like, hey, stop. Masturbation's bad. Don't drink. No, don't smoke. And amen. Like, we should be getting rid of those sins. But there's ones that kind of are harder to detect sometimes, and uh, I was talking with a buddy of mine, and we're both in CR, both recovering drug addicts and alcoholics, and I said, I'm so grateful, I think, sometimes for that stuff, and for the fact that some of my stuff is easier to see, you know, I'm the guy that the son, the joke about, does your sin come before you or behind me, I'm like, I'm like pig pen, I'm like, you know what I mean, it's it's all over the place, you know what I mean, (laughs) From from the peanuts, but Amen. If our sin is visible, then we can work on it. But if it's yeah. the subtle things, it's like, are you not kind? Are you proud? You know, we're going to dig deeper. I don't want to put the cart before the horse there, but we're going to get into this about what this really means and how it applies for us. When, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I'm going to uh, pull from Glenn's book a little bit. Glenn likes to do song lyrics and talk about movies, and I don't do that a whole lot, but. Um, it's kind of a weird movie to reference, but bear with me. Do you trust me, George? Who has seen Silence of the Lambs? Have you seen Silence of the Lambs? I haven't seen I Put your hands down if you saw it after becoming a disciple. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> you're wicked. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I watched this movie, and a um, pretty intense movie, but there's a scene where Hannibal Lecter is talking to Miss Starling, right, the FBI agent, and he says, How do we learn to covet, Clarice? We covet what we see every day. And again, I was like, oh man, that's like a really deep truth. And as we progress through this psalm, you'll see. So he says that, and we can just kind of skip over it, right? I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. It just kind of like flows off the tongue. He writes it on the page, and it's done. But then you realize that the next nine verses are all about his seeing the wicked. He didn't just like see them. Oh, I saw, oh, hey, wow. I'm a little envious of that. He was like consumed by what he saw, okay? And I'm going to describe how he was consumed, and then I'll talk about how we can be consumed, how I can be consumed, okay? So, I was envious of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, and they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. So he's describing, it's like, these super people, these, these elite. And it's funny how in some ways things are so different from that time, but in other ways there's nothing new under the sun, right? And we're just kind of recycling the same. Satan's like, a, he's not, he, Satan is not creative. I would I would say to you that Satan has no creative power. He just takes what God has has given and, and put there and he kind of warps it and, and moves it. And so he's like, all right, this is the stuff that's in play. I'm just going to you know, reorganize this. I'm going to kind of recycle these same problems, these same issues, and throw them... At mankind, and so it's funny to hear this. <laughs> these, these, it doesn't sound like the celebrities, you know. You look at people in these magazines, you're like, "Oh man, they're they're beautiful people, and they want for nothing." And you know what I mean? What's that song? I want to be a millionaire, you know? Like, oh man, like I wish I could be like them so bad. Do I wish that I could have what they have and I could just jet set and forget? You know, hey, off to Cabo today. After to, you know what I mean? Don't you wish sometimes you could you could have that lifestyle where you're not checking your budget? to say Hey, can I afford cottage cheese? (laughs) I'm gonna get a fifty-five thousand dollar bracelet because I like the way it looks, you know what I mean? And then it will sit discarded as I you know what I mean? Like like it's a totally different lifestyle. And sometimes that can be so attractive, that which we don't have, that which we don't even understand. They're not stricken like the rest of us. They're not even humans, really. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Can you imagine that? Like, that? That's some imagery right there. Asaph was a skilled. There's, there's a reason why he was the songwriter, right? Therefore, pride is their necklace. Check this out. Violence covers them as a garment. Now, this is a part where I feel like it's easy to check out. You're like, what the heck does that even mean? Violence covers them like a garment. How is that relatable? Like, how can I, I don't see that in my world, and I don't envy that in my world. You know what I mean? So don't check out on me. Are you with me? Don't check out. They scoff and speak with malice. That's relatable. I think that we have a culture of scoffing and speaking with malice. I think that I can really fall into this a lot of times and, God bless my wife. My wife is such a, a kind and gentle spirit. She's like, hey, that wasn't nice. What are you what are you saying that for? Why do you care what shoes that guy has on? If he wants to wear crocs, let him wear crocs. You know what I mean? Like whatever you like, so so he's out to dinner wearing crocs. Like he likes Crocs. Like, shame on you. You know what I mean? I'm like, praise God for my wife. And I've had times where, where I rose and fell. And <laughs> someone's like, hey, I got crocs on so like, Amen. And wear your crocs. Amen. But I'm not gonna think about it. <laughs> But there's been times where I've been less critical. There's been times where I've been more critical. And I think I can see that kind of rise and fall in direct correlation with how close I am with God. Because that is the perspective changer. That is the filter through which we really are able to calibrate like hey that's but but when you're not like when you're not connected it doesn't even like it just it's so funny and crazy how easy those thoughts come and how you can find yourself slipping into this place i feel like you put your foot in the water of unspirituality of worldliness of negativity and the next thing you know you're out past the buoys you're, you know what i mean you're, you're up to your eyes and you're like how did i even get here you know what i mean it's 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 yeah it's hard. Scoffing and speaking with malice is definitely, I think, the law of the land. It's all about snarky. It's all about, right, there's all these blogs out there. And there's, you know, I saw this video once, this guy, Matt Belisai, And his the whole thing is, like, drinking wine and making fun of, like, things and people. And this is, like, uh, uh, people love this. And it's, like, all over Someone at work showed me. And I was, like, what is this? And I caught myself at first, like, laughing with it. And then I was, like, what am I doing? This is, like, I am entrenched and worldliness. I am laughing at the same things. I am in the world and of the world. I am like and that's how, church, we begin to be absorbed with worldliness and how that correlation between envying the wicked and being linked with them is is so prevalent. And in ways we don't even realize sometimes. But um, we're going to go on, we're going to explore more. Amen. So they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten opposition. Right? And that's a big thing. I feel like everyone wants to throw their weight around. Everybody, over the smallest things, like, hey, they didn't get my my sandwich order right. I'm going to go on Yelp and slam them. You know what I mean? There's, like, like rules now where, like, you can't do that because it became so prevalent. There's, like, they could sue you for, like, defamation and different things because our culture went crazy sauce with that. Like, we're sue happy, and then, like, we're Yelp happy. We just want to be negative. We want to throw our opposition everywhere. What little power I have, I want to really wield it against you. You know what I mean? If I feel like there's any opportunity for me to be slighted, I'm going to come at you. You know what I mean? You're like, whoa. Well, that's a way where we envy the wicked and become like them. You know what I mean? We, We are consumed in this culture and we don't even realize it. And traffic. Think about that. Just leave that there. Traffic. You know what I mean? How do you, <laughs> how do you behave in traffic? I don't envy the wicked. I uh, looked you. were pretty wicked to me the other day. Or you are cutting that guy off and giving him the crazy look. You know what I mean? Traffic is hard for me. Traffic. I used to talk with teens and say that the state of their room, like how your room looks, reflects part of how your heart is. You know what I mean? How you treat your parents reflect I know my wife's like, Are you hearing what you're saying, Charlie? Preach. <laughs> Preach. But um it's true, there are correlations there, you know, and I would say to them how you treat your parents, you know what I mean, it's a huge reflection of where you're at with God. I would literally be at someone's house waiting for a Bible study and they'd be like duking it out with mom, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah nah. and they come in, Hey Charlie, let's get in, let's have a character study <laughs> Like, Yes, let's have a character study. <laughs> Let us have a character study. But for us, that can be traffic. That can be how we, you know, yeah. r- relate and interact with the people that are cleaning, you know, the trash at our, our jobs. You know what I mean? And There's so much there, but we don't want to be like that, right? We don't want to be lofty and, and threatening opposition with people. Check this out. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. And this is where you're like, surely not me, Charlie. Yeah, that's not me. I don't, I don't set my mouth against heaven. But when we do not obey God, when we don't have a heart that's pure, when we're not loving the people next to us, the people that are hard to love, we are speaking with our actions against heaven. We are. We are setting our mouths and our hearts against heaven when we do that. When we talk, I'm so guilty of this, and I really try to, like, not be. I'll be talking to people, my closest people, you know what I mean, and I'll be like, you know, I'll like unburden my heart, you ever done this, this brother, blah, 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 and I'll like tell this story, and I'll wrap it up, but really, so like the beginning and the end may seem spiritual, but there's a middle where I'm just flat talking smack about somebody, you know what I mean, I'm talking about how they're weak, or how they're annoying, or how they're not, you know what I mean, doing things the way I would do things, or they're not, giving me my due or they're not listening or whatever. I've told them 25 times and they're still doing this and they're doing that and they wonder why, you know what I mean? What am I doing? I am setting my mouth against the heavens and my tongue is strutting through the earth. I'm putting myself up on some pedestal. Where do I get off seeing people in a different way than how Jesus sees them? How do I get off walking by someone and thinking that I'm too cool to deign myself to talk to them or that I'm not going to hug them this way or... You know, maybe it's, it's subtle, maybe there's nuance, you know, but you know, you know in your heart, you're really. like, I'm gonna just keep this conversation going a little longer, so I don't have to look that person in the eye, or I don't have to hug them, or when's the last time you went up to someone and said, Hey, what can I pray for you about? Or this beef in your heart, uh, why don't we go up and just say, hey, you know what? I'm feeling kind of funky towards you. And I, I, I told the brother one time, because this brother, man, I was like, blah, 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 blah. I feel this way and that and that. And there were some legitimate things said brother was, was not doing correctly, right? Like all of us. And the other brother was just smiling. He was kind of going through his phone. And at the end of my rant, he looks up and he goes, I think you should go and confess your sin to them. And I was like, what the? Maybe you weren't listening. <laughs> He's like, I think they should go confess their sin to me. And then repent. And you know what I mean? Be better like me he was like no go and confess your sin to them and I was like okay so I went to this brother who I thought was all these things under the sun and I confessed sin and I was just like and I man it wasn't like an uncomfortable it wasn't uncomfortable it wasn't like you know hey I uh you know had a little too much cake last night it was like real gritty hey this is this is where I'm at you know I just told some some ugly stuff some sins I was struggling with I was a year old in the faith, and I was struggling. I lived alone. I didn't have brothers with me. I was just... And I was coming off the heels of addiction and stuff, so you know what I mean? It was like... It was a struggle, man. Purity was an issue. There was things that, that I was just... Battling with it It seemed like I could never, you know, three days, (laughs) four days, (laughs) fall into the kits. And I got gut level honest and confessed into this brother, and our relationship was never the same since that day. He confessed into me, he talked about things that I had no idea he has struggled with in the past, and we formed a friendship and a, a unity that was based in vulnerability and openness. And we were able to walk forward, hey, he, you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't one of my grooms at my wedding. He's not, and I don't call him on a Wednesday, hey, what's up, buddy? Like, we don't do that. But we are brothers in the fight in a way that we never would have been if I wasn't open. You know what I mean? And I walked away thinking of him in a different way, in a way that was not setting my mouth against heaven and strutting my tongue through the earth, but in a way that was, like, humble and, like, man, like, Jesus died for this dude, and he would have died for just this dude, you know what I mean? And there's things I can learn from him and about myself and the way I view him, and gosh, I just want to be more like God, you know? So, amen. (laughs) Verse 10. (laughs) Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And so he's again talking about how they do all this stuff. They're fat and sleek and pride is their necklace and their eyes swell out through fatness and their heart overflows with follies. And therefore the people are like, they're gods. They're celebrities, small g gods, right? But they look at them and they're like, there's no fault in them. There's no fault in them. Verse 11. And they say, how can God know? Is their knowledge in the most high? And I think this is so important to dig into because I think I I could waste, not waste, but I could spend 30 minutes just here about all the things that we say this about. How can God know? How can God know? Is there knowledge in heaven? Look how police brutality. Is there knowledge in heaven? Look at at this. I could just go on and on and on and on. Sex slavery and trafficking and abuse. You know that the stats, this is like chilling for someone that just has a seven-month-old. One in three humans are sexually molested before the age of seven. One in three humans. And your heart, my heart can say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in heaven? And you can hear about this Harvey Weinstein. I could go on and on and on about all the things if I don't touch the causes close to your heart. Like, it's just because there's so many of them. It's not that I don't think that's important. I, you know what I mean? There, there's so many things that you can say that about. There's so much, isn't there? Wealth, behold, these are the wicked, the people that propagate those behaviors and, 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 and corrupt governments. I started listening to NPR, and for a while I was like really jazzed about it, but now I'm just like, oh, it's just so much. Every day it's like this election didn't go well, and they're rioting here, and this, this, Iran is this, and Pakistan that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, is there knowledge in heaven? You know, you can just kind of feel like this burden, I'm like, oh man. Check this out. And so behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase its riches. I heard about Jeff Bezos the other day. Did you hear about that? $13 trillion or something. So there's three, right? $3 trillion, but the math was like, he would have to give away $35 million a day just to stop accumulating more wealth. And I'm just like, calling at my beard, like, there are people starving. There are people drunk, addicted. Like, he wants to colonize the moon. Like, what in the world? You know what I mean? And you can feel caught up in that. And this is where it gets scary. This is where Asaph, now this is a guy, he's in the ministry, guys. He's paid. He has a school where he's teaching other people to worship God. And he says, for all in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And he goes on to say, if I verbalized that, if I said that to the people, I would be transgressing heaven again. I I would be betrayed. I would be betraying the generation of your children if I spoke that. But that's where my heart was at. And it struck me so much on so many different levels. And sometimes people, hey, how are you? Fired up. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing good. Now, I'm not saying that if someone walks by and says, how are you? You should just be like, I'm pure. And it's yeah, maybe you should maybe you shouldn't you yeah, know that, that's uh, use wisdom and discernment but I think that the message that I took away from this couple of verses was like wow like how is my transparency and my vulnerability with the people around me with my wife with my D partner with Glenn with you know people that I should be. Maybe if I talked to Brandon more, he'd have some insights that I don't have. You know what I mean? He's in a different life stage. He's, he's accumulated some wisdom. Maybe if I called Jesse, you know what I mean? I actually called Jesse about a week. I was like, will you go through a prayer book with me? Because I feel like we should do it together. And I feel like we really benefit from that. And I feel like it would be good for my heart and good for culture and good for, you know, being able to learn more about how to praise God, how to worship Him, right? We're talking about worship. And so this is crazy all in vain have I had my, kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I was even like, I don't know if my heart is clean and I don't even know what it means to wash my hands in innocence. <laughs> I don't think I'm an innocent guy. I don't think I have innocent thoughts. I think I struggle with that a lot. And so my thought is like, again, going back to, I could just go back to First John 3 and read that five times and walk off the stage. Like that's what it's about. It's about trusting in who God is. It's about knowing that I am his son. And I am now. And one day I'll be something even greater. And that I have to keep heart. I have to have faith. I have to know that it's going to be all right, even though it seems dark and crazy and I don't understand. And it's something I've, I have felt this before. If I speak Vos, I would be betraying the generation of your children. I've had, like, big things in my heart. Like, we're not doing church right I thought, like, the culture is wacky. We, we exalt things that we shouldn't exalt, and there's a hierarchy, and we're not. I, I have thought I could go on and on and on and on and on about the things I've thought. And some of them were valid on some level. But a lot of it was distraction and I was getting away. I was pointing my finger and I was strutting my tongue and I was saying all these things but I was not concerned about having a pure heart as much as I should have been, right? I was not I got to that point where my feet almost slipped, where I almost stumbled because I saw the wickedness I saw darkness, I saw hero worship, I saw all these things and I was like this isn't right. This isn't how we're gonna march you know, forward. This isn't blah blah blah. I couldn't say all the things I didn't think it was. But what's important is that I realized and I said, you know what? I don't want to be like this. I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to struggle like this. I don't want to betray the generation of your children in the church by speaking these things in a way that's not edifying. And verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, how do I make sense of these things? How do I make sense of wickedness in my own heart and trouble and struggle and and seeing all the things that I see, doctor my eyes, right? When I see all those things, how do I understand it? It seemed to me a wearisome task. Until when? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. And that, again, is another thing that we can just breeze right through. I went into the sanctuary of God. But the sanctuary of God, church, was such a powerful thing. And I wish this is where I was like, I should have slides! If I had slides, I could show you a picture of the sanctuary. And it was, again, something that I didn't really, I've read. I've read the commissioning of the sanctuary, and and I've read through it. But it's really, really interesting to see that there was different components. Did you know that? The first step when you came into the sanctuary was, boom, it was right there. There was a big brazen altar. And brazen means to be covered with brass. When we say someone's brazen, that's actually what we're saying. We're saying they're covered with brass. So a sacrifice for sin on a brazen altar had to be given. Now, if it was, you know, there was all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> Two pigeons, if you know what that was about. There's goats, there's all kinds of things, right? Now, this is what killed me. It's that acacia wood was what the altar was built of, and then it was covered with bronze. And the acacia wood is a symbol of our humanity and that anything we do is nothing. It will be consumed by fire. But when we cover it, with bronze, it can be with Jesus. When we put Jesus on top of us and his sacrifice, then we can put things on it that can be purified and we can, we can enter in. So it's really, I'm, I'm going to put a link on my Facebook later that I really suggest you read about the sanctuary and I wish I had slides. Next time I will. But so the first step was this this, this brazen altar. And then there's the lava where you go in and the priests had to ceremoniously wash themselves before they took your sacrifice into the Holy of Holies. And then there was the holy place and then the high holy place, right? And again, I could talk for 20 minutes about how, you know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement and how the Jewish nation really saw this there was one day where they were just like let's get right church they got right and they fasted and then they they, they sealed themselves for the next year they're like okay we've been atoned for now we can continue to do our daily atonements and it, it was a huge thing and they viewed it very differently and i think the way we view atonement which is right we should obviously view like jesus came and he tore that veil right and we were able to enter in and now we have communion with him but I think what I want to get across to you is to not skip over this verse where it says, then I went into the sanctuary, because all the work, and there's, I could go on for another, I'm not going to, I don't know you know what time looks like, I'm, waiting for, I'm going to like <laughs> bring the cane out, but I could talk more and more and more about the sanctuary and how they went into it, and there's, ceremony. And and, and all the ceremony is is very symbolic. and symbolizes baptism and and helps us to see from an Old Testament perspective the path forward to the New Testament church, the church today. But what I want to communicate more than anything about these couple verses is that it takes work. God has done the work. I'm not preaching a gospel of works. What I'm saying is everything that happens now, when we talk about how Asaph's perspective was changed was because he went into the sanctuary and he didn't do so the same way that he didn't see them in a fleeting way he didn't just see the wicked he really saw them right and it consumed his mind and it changed his heart and it muddied his thoughts and it obstructed his prayers it hurt him it hurt him church when he goes into the altar, it changes. Him. He goes into the sanctuary and he doesn't do it lightly. We can't go into the sanctuary without confessing our sins. We can't go into the sanctuary. You know what I mean? You can't. You're like, man, I am blocked right now. I'm not doing well. I have hatred in my heart. I. I participate in factions. I'm clicky. I, I don't love the poor. But whatever it is in your heart, church, I can't beat the struggle with pornography. I'm lying to my wife. I'm not loving. I have hatred in my heart. Like like the book of John says, I shouldn't have, right? Like, whatever it is, one, you're not alone. I'm sure there's, you know, if you could see, like, you know, that, that test they do where people turn around and different things, you'd be shocked at what you saw, I'm sure. And you'd be encouraged and you'd be sad and we'd all be able to band together. But, the importance to understand is that we have to, that's the first step is leaving, that they would literally put their sins on this animal and, and then they'd kill the animal and then they'd burn it and then the priest would take select parts and he'd wash his hands and he'd go into the holy place and he'd offer that special part, that sanctified part to God in a ceremonious way. And so what I'm saying is, that we have to, if we're saying, hey, okay, there's parts of my life where I'm here and I want to be here, we have to go through here. We have to go to the sanctuary, church. We have to go there. We have to go to the sanctuary. And it's, man, it's a task and it's a privilege and it's an honor. And we can do so now through worship. We can do so now through prayer. We can do so now. I I can grab... You and, and you can come to me, and we can get on our knees and pray to God, and God is there, you know. Yep. But there is truth to our stuff, our prayer, our heart being obstructed by sin, being obstructed, being clouded. You know, the reception gets wacky because there's stuff that we have to bring to the sanctuary and discard. Let's do it together. Let's, you know, Amen. let's be serious about it. Call someone today. And like, I got to go to the altar. You know what I mean? I got to. I got to do it. Wow. So he, he thinks it's hard to understand. He knows he has to go there. When he goes, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Are you with me, church? Are, you, are we here? Are we going together? Check this out. Then he discerned their end. Truly, you, God, will set them in slippery places. You will make them fall to ruin. If we went back and I went through the whole first part again, you see that this is like radically different. This is the antithesis, the exact opposite of everything he said before. His perspective is 100% different, 180 degrees from where he was because he went into the sanctuary of God and refocused his heart and his mind. It's different. He, he just said they couldn't be touched. They felt no pangs. They're fat and sleek. They're superheroes. Truly, God, you set them in slippery places. Before he had a heart change, he was in the slippery place. He almost fell. His feet almost slipped. Now he sees it rightly, and he says, no, the wicked are in slippery places, and you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors." Like a dream when one awakes, oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. They weren't even there. They were like a a whiff, a a ghost, a poof. They're gone. He despised them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. And that's how we have to see it. That's how we have to see our pride, our sin, our worldliness, our talk that isn't good. Anything Ephesians 4 and 5, right? If, if I'm saying something and it's not building you up according to your needs, then I'm wrong, you know? And you should say that to me next time you hear me say something, a joke, you know what I mean? I, I said to Josh the other day, I like, I didn't need to tell that story. It wasn't life-giving. It wasn't building. It wasn't edifying, you know? Why? Why do I do it? When I do that, I'm like a brute. I'm like an animal that can't see. I'm like the the wicked king that was smitten by God. You know? When my soul was embittered, when I was prepped in the heart in the wrong way, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Do you believe that, church, that he'll receive you to glory? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel like, am I even a real Christian? But it's because I'm focusing on the wrong things. It's because I covet what I see every day. It's because I'm not going into the sanctuary. And I'm not putting my dirtiness onto a goat and slaughtering it before God. You know what I mean? That sounds like, whoa, It sounds intense. Yeah. We, it is intense, church. Jesus going to the cross and dying for us and becoming that atonement is intense. And I scorn him when I don't take it seriously. When I strut my tongue through the earth and I don't love people deeply, I'm scorning him. I'm hurting him. I'm hurting the church. I'm a beast, you know? And that's the scariest part. I think about Moses striking the rock twice and water still coming. You know what I'm talking about? God didn't say, sorry, I told you to speak it. You struck it. No water for you. Sometimes the water still comes, church. Sometimes you stand there. I stand there. And we're like, na, 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 na. and we're miles away. You know what I mean? Our heart, we haven't been to the sanctuary. We're like a beast, but no one's going to take us out. You know what I mean? God lets the rain fall on the wicked and the righteous. and That's the scariest thing. But his heart's different now, right? Yeah. And he says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. My faith, I know it. Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. And that was not his heart before. He desired everything but God, right? He looked at these people and he was like, gosh, they have it all, and I have nothing. But if all he had was God, he has everything, right? And it sounds so trite to say, and you're like, that sounds good, but I'm embroiled in sin and I can't pay my rent, and I don't, you know, I don't really have any real friends, and I feel alone, and nobody talks to me sometimes, and, and I leave Sunday, I don't get a phone call. Maybe I get a text if I don't attend midweek, you know. I don't know what it is for you, but your situation sometimes it can feel like that sounds good, but how does it really hit me where I live? And I would say to you. As hard as it is, if I lost everything, I heard Glenn talk about losing his sons, and I just, my heart was like gripped by like iron. I was like, what would I do if I lost my wife? What would I do if I lost my daughter? But the truth is, if I lost everything good, and not another good thing happened to me, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I would still have more than I deserve. Time's infinity, ad infinitum. If everything good was taken away and not another good thing happened, I would still have infinitely more than I deserve. And my heart should still say, nothing on earth I desire before you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far, those who are far from you shall perish you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near the Lord. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. Thank you so much, church. And you mind if I pray out? I feel compelled to pray. <laughs> and the the prayer. Dear God, thank you so much that you are with us. Thank you so much that you can be our portion. You can be our prize. It is you, behold, behold you. You are good, it's good for me to be near you, God. Thank you that we can be clothed in Jesus. Thank you that we can get rid of our sin at the altar. Thank you that we can come to you and be changed, that you can take my brutish perspective and change it around, that you can make this proud heart humble, that you can make me kind and gentle. You can have me tear down anything that hinders me from my brother, and that we can try step by step to get closer to you and closer to heaven by faith, through grace and mercy. Thank you so much for who you are and all you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.